sometimes I'm fine and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm able to even hide it well where people, well, at least I don't think people are recognizing it. I would say everyone that was over there with us probably has some way, shape or form, have some form of PTSD, if it's been diagnosed or not. I'm Jim Hessler, and this is Path Forward, Real Conversations About Leadership. In every episode, we're having real conversations with real people about real issues, about the journey, about the challenges, about the joys. One thing leaders believe is that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the challenges, no matter how confusing or difficult things are, there's always a path forward. Leadership is a very creative process if you're doing it well. For the past 21 years, we've been teaching leadership primarily through the process of great conversations. Andrew is the Chief Technology Officer at VCTO Secure. He's got a big job, and he's also got a big full life. He's happily married, has two young kids. Um, but before starting his IT career, he was in the military, and he served in Iraq, and now he has PTSD. And it's something he's been navigating, and he's been managing it for a lot of years. He's been doing a lot of work to learn how his PTSD shows up and uh, how he can best manage it. Andrew went from not wanting to talk about his PTSD at all with anyone, but now he's sharing it openly with his family and, 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 and his coworkers, and, and now he's coming on my show to talk about it publicly, and we really appreciate that. The truth is, even if you're not experiencing PTSD, you know, we're all struggling with something or will at some point in our lives. And whether that's a mental or a physical health issue, welcoming a new baby into your family, uh, maybe caring for kids, uh, or aging parents, divorce, a death in the family, you know, any other big changes at, at home. Now, all of those things impact how you show up at work every day, and your coworkers can often sense uh, that there's something going on, and that can create a real tension. Now, in my conversation with Andrew, uh, he models how to be a whole vulnerable person at work and to extend grace to uh, himself and to others. Andrew, welcome to Path Forward, Real Conversations About Leadership. Thank you for having me. Andrew, can you start by filling us in on your background in the military and how it led you to IT? I went in the military around February 2003. I had a lot of family in the military, and I went in and was a military police officer for a few years and was medically retired from the military in 2006. I got out, went to school, completed my bachelor's, and I got my first job in IT, and I worked in healthcare IT for close to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then this past year, I started working for VCTO Secure, took over as the chief technology officer, and been really focused on the security and driving improvements and automation within the company. You like your work? Oh, I love it. What do you like about it? I love being able just to fix things, finding problems and fixing, and just, if there's something that could be automated, I want to automate it. You like to fix things. I need more friends like you. <laughs> <laughs> Can we dig into your military background uh, a little bit more? Why did you get a medical retirement? So I went over to Iraq in November of 03, went over as a, what was called as a casualty replacement. So went to Kuwait 
we were in holding for maybe a couple of weeks. And then I worked in a jail. We had a lot of high up generals that worked for Saddam. Mm. So we worked in the jail for a little bit. And then You're I guarding did, some very important people. people yeah. yeah. Then I did QRF, which was a quick response force. So we would rotate. We'd be in jail some days and then, and we'd work like 12 hour shifts. And then, then we might be on QRF where we're watching. We're just in a ready state. So if anything happens, we got to travel to an area. And then, from there, I actually volunteered to stay in Iraq, and I went down to Baghdad, and I was put on a security team and also a marksman observer team. Layman's terms, what a lot of people would think is the movie's like a sniper team, so okay. I, I was considered the spotter. So I did security for a, f- a Fulberg colonel. He was in charge of all the military police operations. He was an excellent leader to learn from and excellent just teacher just to learn from him through his actions. Yeah, interesting. So what happened then? We did a lot of, uh, uh, what would say? Uh, is this difficult for you to talk about? Can be sometimes. I'm just, well, part of it is like, is the, I think with the PTSD, sometimes it's easy to get like, I lose my train of thought. And sometimes stressful situations can bring it out. Mm-hmm. And it just, mm-hmm. it, it varies on how it's going to impact me. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, you're welcome. So that it kind of, it affects you even just in your cognitive capacity yeah, from time to time, especially yeah. in a, when we, somebody sticks a microphone in your face or something. Right, right, right exactly. <laughs> and, and sometimes I'm fine and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm able to even hide it well where people, well, at least I don't think people are recognizing it. Yeah. So you come back from the military. You, you, you don't need to tell us what you saw there and what you experienced in, in, unless it's important to do so. But granted, you had some very, very difficult experiences. When I got back, I... I was very defensive, and part of that's the PTSD and where I would have, and I still get, like, angry outbursts, and occasionally I didn't want people to know I was in the military. It was kind of a, a ashamed when I first got back because of what I had to go through, what I dealt with, but we got attacked, like, every day, two weeks straight before we left. Got it. From IEDs to mortar rounds, small arms fire. I think I had like a burn hole from a bullet in my uniform from when we were out one day. So there, there was a lot that we went through together as a group, which, I mean, that held a lot of us together to help cope and deal with it, right. especially when we got back. Are you aware of any other people from your unit that have been diagnosed with PTSD as well? I would say everyone that was over there with us probably has some way, shape, or form have some form of PTSD, if it's been diagnosed or not. When were you officially diagnosed with PTSD, and how did that impact you? Yeah, so it was rough first finding out I I had it because I was having a lot of nightmares. So you didn't diagnose yourself? I didn't diagnose myself, Mm -hmm. and it's just like— we had a debriefing when we got back from Iraq, and they said if you start seeing symptoms after a month, come back and start getting help. So I started seeing someone, and then so it was a psychiatrist and then a psychologist. I've learned a lot over the last 15 years about myself, and I've learned i got to keep learning. I've constantly seeking different ways of doing things, learning new ways to help kind of alleviate the symptoms. You've made a success out of yourself. Congratulations for that. Thank you. You're holding down a good job. Yeah. You're successfully married. Your father. I know you went back to complete your BA when you returned from Iraq. How was going back to school helpful to you? I I know a lot of other veterans, myself, we felt a lot like we missed a lot when we were gone. And so it was a constant catch-up 
for me, where I felt like I was behind in life, where I was at, whereas here I am out of the service with PTSD, with along with other medical issues. And it was just like, it, it just, things kept piling up on me and it was just beating me down. And I'm like, I got to get out of this. I, I can't live my life around these things holding me back. I'm going to charge ahead. And then with the VFW, it was pushing me and everyone always behind me had my back, going to school, getting my bachelor's degree. And then I finally got my first IT job and I got into healthcare. And then COVID happened and I started my, I got into graduate school. I started my master's degree where I focused on information technology leadership. It worked out well because I was able to do everything remotely. And I'm, I got to say one thing is it would not have been impossible without my wife watching the kids. She took the brunt of everything. So she sacrificed a lot for me to go to school, to be able to even get to that point to complete my degree. And then I completed my degree. And then five months on, I was coming on to VCTO secure as their chief technology officer where I'm, I've just hit the ground running and just learning as much as I can and just completely changing our structure and the way things are done with systems and just improving on a lot of processes. I'm honored to be on the board of directors of a business called Skills Incorporated. Skills is located down in Auburn near Seattle, and they're an aerospace company. And 50% of their workforce is disabled, and one of those disabilities is PTSD. What Skills believes in, and I'm on their board, and so I believe in it pretty fervently myself too, is that when we label somebody as damaged, when we label somebody as less than, we, we do damage not only to that individual, but we do damage to our society, right? Right. There's, there's, there's so much collateral damage when somebody doesn't get to live a fuller life because of this, some circle we've drawn around them and said, don't go outside this circle. So it, it's in all of our interests greatly to help the people that live on the fringes of our society to come in and be part of the center of it. It, it helps, it makes us all better. And it saves, I hate to say it, but it saves a lot of money too, right? It's, right. it's economically, it makes much more sense to bring these people into a functioning role than it does to, to sequester them and say, let's just be super careful what we ask them for. It's how I felt when I got back where I felt damaged and couldn't, Feel where I couldn't even open up. All of us vets that have gone to war, we got, we grew up real fast. And part of it is, is just you see how quick people can lose life and how quick that can be taken away. And you want part of it is some of my friends that I've lost through either suicide or actually being in in battle. So I, I kind of want to serve for them too. It just try and help out as much as I can because they're not here and they've left like great impressions on me. Yeah. I, I had a team lead that was killed over on his second tour over in Iraq. And I try and hold those people that have been in my life, those values and what I've learned from them. And I try and pass those on. So you come back and you try to get back into normal life. You're dealing with a situation like PTSD. How helpful is it for you to talk about it? How helpful is it to be transparent about it? In the workplace, we want to know each other. Good leaders know what makes people tick and understand their background and, and things like that. But how do you talk about PTSD with the people that you work with? See, that's a tough one. I've 
for the longest time I've been, I would try to hide it, want to, would try to minimize it. And I would say probably within the last two years, I started talking about it more. What was it that prevented you from wanting to talk about it? Maybe it's just an internal fear in a sense that people are going to judge me or be afraid or how are they going to take it and how do I express it? Because I know with me and my wife and the kids, we've come up with like a key word where we'll call it chocolate chip cookie time. Just phrase it out when I may be experiencing some symptoms or I need to be kind of left alone, which just that for us made it easy for us for our family dynamic. But I haven't come up with a way for how to do it with work. And maybe this is a way of doing it. But (laughs) I guess we could have chocolate chip cookie time at work too, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. (laughs) It sounds like part of your maybe fear or hesitance in talking about it is it's not so much that it brings the memories back for you, but you're just concerned about how the other person is going to react to what you're saying. Right. They're going to treat you differently or they're going to get weird and clumsy and uncomfortable in your presence. I've watched as that happens. People just all of a sudden get all kind of like weird because they want to be sympathetic. They want to show concern for your situation, but they really don't know what to do, I think, with the information you've given them. Is that is that a fair? Yeah, that, that's a f- completely fair yeah. assessment. And so they like, do I need to be more careful around this? Do I need to treat him more gently? Should I be careful what I say, what I don't say around him? And again, it's not just PTSD we're talking about. We're talking about all kinds of situations where we meet people who, you know, they're in abusive relationships or they have a terminal illness or they're formerly incarcerated people. I've worked with them before where, you know, how do we talk about this, right? Right. How, how do we talk about this? And I guess I didn't want you to bring you on the show and have you give us a tutorial, but I am curious about kind of what works and what doesn't work. If I was your coworker, what would you want me to know about, about your PTSD? I guess the big thing with PTSD, at least for me, and I know everyone's symptoms are different, like – I'll have trouble concentrating or I can get focused and I'm zeroed in on something. I think a lot of us that struggle with PTSD, a lot of us like an adrenaline rush because mm-hmm. we miss that adrenaline rush that we had during the war. And part of that is we act out in ways to get that adrenaline rush. Even if it's generated through anger or acting out in some way. And and I think that's why the anger comes out. And it's not intentional, but I think a lot of us will do racing or do some extreme sports sports of some sort. Yeah. I think that's the one thing a lot of us have struggled with as we come back is integrating because we don't learn how to shut that adrenaline off. So I try and channel it with my IT and go to the IT and try and channel it to focus my energy, because that gives me a rush uh, working on things. Yeah, that, that's a really, I mean, it's just what you've just told me in the last couple of minutes would be enormously helpful for me to know about. Right. I had an employee who was diabetic, and he didn't want to tell me he was diabetic. He thought if we knew that, we wouldn't hire him. So he never told us. And he damn near went into a diabetic coma at work one day. And we didn't know what was going on. We had no idea he even had diabetes. So when we hold that information back from our employers, maybe we reduce the risk that they'll judge us ahead of time. But how important is it? I mean, it's so important for us to know that stuff. Right. And then you just have to hope that your employer is 
you know, sympathetic to the situation. So I find it very interesting. The adrenaline part of this is something I, I don't think I'd heard before. So is there a tendency to kind of create some drama or, or is there a temper issue sometimes with this or... Are you going to blow things out of proportion sometimes? Yeah, sometimes I have, and I know I've done that, blown things out of proportion. I think sometimes the conflict creates that rush. I've been going through therapy since I got back from Iraq. Good. I'm glad glad to hear that you're doing that. Yeah, I think one of the big things was, even when I was in the military, it was kind of frowned upon to go admit that you need help and get help. Yeah. You're warriors. You're not supposed to show any weakness. And and part of it's fear because of what's going to happen. Am I not going to get promoted? Am I going to lose out on rank? Because that was all possibilities depending on what type of unit you were in. I had excellent leadership that I worked with, and they worked with me and helped with me until I was medically retired. But I know others probably weren't that fortunate. So it's always been hard because you you got that pressure from society in general where it's kind of been frowned upon and mental illness isn't really – it's starting, I think, recent times to become more of a focal point and more people talking about it, which I think helps – me even just coming on the show today, sure, sure. which as I've seen more people come out and talk about it more, and I think it's better for awareness. In the work that we do, Path Forward, we we really strongly emphasize the relational aspect of leadership. It's, it's just really knowing who you're working with. I think our leadership is much stronger when we really know the people who work with us on a very personal level. And some people are uncomfortable you know, if they just come to work and do a good job, if I leave them alone, that's fine. We don't have to have any relationship beyond that. But this is such a central part of who you are now that for me to work with you and not know that, but then you, you, you know, you're a partner in that, right? Because you're going to have to share it with me. Right. And then I'm going to have to be a partner and say, okay, you just shared something really important about yourself, but you've also given me an opportunity to help you. Right, because if I recognize these patterns and I know what your triggers are, and we have safe words or whatever we have, and I can say, okay, here, here we go. Do we need to end this meeting, or could you go code for a while or something, right, uh, right to ca- calm you down? And you know, I, I, we can talk about PTSD specifically, but there's a bigger issue here because, in a much less difficult way. We all have triggers and we all have things that cause us to shut down and we all have things that drive us crazy. And the more we can recognize that in each other, the more, the more we can help. It raises for me a really interesting question, which is as awful as it's been to have PTSD and as much of a challenge as it's been, are there ways that you've grown as a human being because you have it that you might not have other ways? Yeah, I would say – Definitely, because I know there were some points where I, I I got into different coping mechanisms to use where it would go through – I was going of uh, stints of alcohol mm-hmm. where I was Very drinking, drinking a lot when I first got back. And then I realized that was a problem and I stopped. And I drink occasionally, but not to the extent like where I would. You're not numbing yourself. I, I, I've learned that I need to do things in moderation. Mm-hmm. And so I can't go – Full in, and that's where I kind of channel a lot of my energy towards IT. So I, I focus a lot of that in the learning aspect, where a lot of my energy goes 
to help alleviate a lot of the symptoms and it helps me focus and stay kind of a little bit organized. Is there any type of work that you would be unqualified for because of your PTSD? Would I want to not have you as a policeman in my community or something? I don't know if it would necessarily disqualify me. I guess it would depend how bad my symptoms yeah. were and how it was reacting. I wanted to be a police officer at one point. I really wanted to get in the FBI. Like, that was my dream at one point. But that evolved and changed because when I got back, I was like, okay, this isn't for me. I can't do this. I don't feel comfortable doing this because I knew myself. And I think that's a, uh, that I learned is you got to know yourself and what your limits are. Yeah. And if you're not putting limits on what you're doing to really focus where it's going to put you in a spot where it's going to put you in danger or something like right. that, where, where it could really aggravate it worse. And yet having said that, you probably have some pretty incredible skills that you learned in dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Difficult situations <laughs> yeah, too, right? I, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of difficult situations we had to deal with. One of the things that helped me actually when I got out of the service was I got involved with my local VFW. And mm-hmm. then I— Veterans of foreign wars. Uh, yep. My first meeting, I was elected commander. Wow. Wow. They, <laughs> so, could, they could see right away that he had a leadership presence about you. I struggled my first year, and but— I grew from that. Mm -hmm. I I learned a lot from the post and the people there, and there was a community. And I think that's the big thing is having that community of people to help support you. The people we work with should be part of that community, shouldn't they? Yeah. Those of us that have never had to deal with something like PTSD, I don't know, we might need some coaching. Right. Right? You know, what does it mean to be part of your community? How can I I be part of your community? of course, I have to want to, right? I have to care enough about you as a human being to to participate. But I also need to know things that I might do that would be unhelpful. Is there behavior that people have had towards you because of your PTSD that you found unhelpful? I guess a hard thing for me is usually confrontation because I don't know which way I'm going to go when dealing with it. So I, I guess the people skills is where I can struggle with a little bit. I'll either shut down and I just want to avoid it altogether. Or sometimes I will overreact and have an overreaction where it doesn't work. And I've been constantly trying to grow in that to try and get somewhere in the middle where it's not so one-sided either way. Because if I go back being passive, then I feel like I didn't express my opinion and then I feel unheard. What I'm reacting to as you say that is that, you know, that, that very well might be part of your PTSD story, but it's also a very common story. Right. It's maybe, in a lot of ways, the most common story I hear from people is difficulty in having challenging conversations with other human beings. It's hard, right? Right. You're, you're not yet 40, so you, you've got a, a good runway ahead of you to <laughs> right. do some really cool things. <laughs> What's your vision for where you go? And again, what limitations might you see because of your PTSD? would affect your future plans or your goals or your aspirations? I've kind of learned that I need to kind of force myself into situations because if I avoid it altogether, then I either miss out on something or don't experience something. The big thing is like large crowds, group settings where I can really be a little bit nervous or sometimes I get so fearful like there's I'm going to be attacked or something's going to go off. That's where it gets a little bit hard where I've had to sometimes force myself to go to those events and be like, keep telling myself, okay, it's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. Those make you kind of vigilant. I always seem to have a heightened awareness. So I'm kind of usually will scan the room anywhere. So it just, 
sometimes it's a blessing and a curse because looking for things and I'll catch things if it's something is going to happen. Right, right. But at the same time, I'm exhausted by the end of the day or at the end of the event. So that's kind of one of the limitations I could see as far as if some events may hold me back from going just because the symptoms that I'm experiencing are so bad at that time. My voice inside is basically saying, don't go. You've gotten a lot of help. You've gotten therapy. You've, you've made a, a community with the VFW and things like that. Do you know of people who've pretended that there's no issue there and have suffered because of it? There was a couple veterans that I had served with that they came back and they took their own life. And I've thought about that at Early on with the drinking and stuff, it helped that I had the support that I had. I had a, my family I could talk to. I had the community at the VFW where I could talk to, and I had friends I could talk yeah, to. Some people don't have that, yeah, or don't know that they need it so much. Right. Yeah, wow. You know, I've, I've managed a lot of people. I was a business executive, and I've had, a, you know, hundreds of people reporting to me at various times in my career. One of the challenges I've had in my leadership career is that if I see somebody in the workplace overreacting or, or having a really difficult moment of acting out or, or temper or something like that, there's a tendency, you know, because we're business people, we want to dissect the circumstance and we say, well, what was it that upset you so much, right? And kind of try to solve the problem at kind of a tactical level. And there have been times when I have seen people really struggling in one way or another in the workplace. And I've, and I've sat down and said, I, I need you to tell me what's really going on here. And, and a couple times I've done that and people said, nothing's going on. I'm fine. I'm just pissed off because Bob didn't file his report on time or something like that. But I always, I always feel like when somebody's really struggling that way and they're acting out in that way at the workplace, I don't want to play amateur psychologist with them. I really, I really don't want to do that. But I, I, I want to let them know that I noticed that, that there's something going on here that, isn't, that doesn't seem right or doesn't seem normal. And I think, you know, probably there's HR people out there listening to me right now. And they're like, no, you should never do that. That's the purview of the medical professionals. And you know, it's not a boss's role. But I think there is a role to just say, I notice you're struggling with this. I notice that you've kind of broken out and had some difficult conflicts with your coworkers or whatever. And I'm just curious if we can talk about that and explore why that's happening, Right. And I don't know very many business managers that will have that conversation with their employees. I used to have that conversation with my employees when I noticed things were up, where they're acting off. I always tried to know my employees. I had a really good manager. He had me go, I want you to go talk to everyone, come back to me in about a month, and tell me one thing about everyone that yeah. you learned. Yeah. And I would make a list. I and, love that. And yeah. I went down, and I, I would know my employees and know... I would try and learn, like, their likes, their dislikes. Bob's a soccer coach. Yeah. Sally grew up in China or, you know, whatever. Just something something interesting that, that makes them a more rounded uh, image for you rather than just a coworker. But by learning your employees, you can easily tell signs when something's off. If someone is having a rough day, I go, hey— Go get off the phones for five minutes. Go yeah. take a breather. Go take a break. Because I used to work in a call center. So the, it's a pretty stressful environment when you've got healthcare providers calling and they're upset their computer's not working. And it, it would sometimes go in spurts when I was even an analyst. Some days you just get beat up on the phones. Yeah. And other days you're not. So 
just taking a break, a five-minute break, letting someone go get away for a little bit can help get the air. I always found it was easier not really asking what's going on. Let them get the breather first. Right. Then talking to them to see, hey, what's going on? Everything yeah. all right? Because that usually calms someone down. You go walk. You burn some energy. That was one thing I used to love doing was just walking. You know, if you say, well, that's not acceptable behavior in our department. Don't ever do that again that conversation just shuts down. That person just doesn't ever want to talk to you again. If you say, this is what I noticed, you know, I care about you as a human being. Let's talk about what happened and how we can maybe prevent it. I think that's just so effective when a leader does that. And you've had people to do that well with you, and you've sounds like you've tried to do it for others. Learning to be a leader is just it's constantly evolving. I'm almost 67 years old. And I'm still learning it. Trust me. So. You're constantly adding new school skills to your tool belt, basically, to approach situations differently. And sometimes you could use the same tactic with one employee versus another, and it's not going to work. You got to kind of meet them on their level and communicate with them mm -hmm. on their level. I would imagine one of the tragedies of PTSD is that if people are unable to deal with it, you know, reasonable way or a helpful way, they almost become unemployable. And and that's doubly sad because I think work would probably give a lot of people an opportunity to give their life purpose and focus and meaning. So I think that's probably one of the things that's probably been helpful for you is you have a meaningful career. Absolutely. I mean, that's the one thing that's always drove me further to keep growing and keep learning. I love helping people with computers. I love fixing them. I, I, I like learning everything I do. It's just like my whole purpose in life is I want to change the way we fix computers and just help people in general. So if you left your company that you're working for now and went to apply for another job with another company, what would you feel obligated to reveal? Would it help you understand what kind of a potential employer you're dealing with to see how they reacted to that? I guess there's two sides of the coin with that. Other people told me, don't say that, don't mention, don't mention it. it at all, and don't ever mention it. Or there's the other flip side, that you be honest and just mention it, and you can kind of just lay down your poker hand and just see where the cards lie. So you have a boss, and, and you, at, at times in your career, you've also had employees who reported to you. Would you be less likely to reveal it to an employee, for example, than you would be to a peer or, or a boss? I'd say early on, I would be more likely to reveal it to a boss. But as I have grown, it's more that I felt more comfortable exploring that and being a little bit more open where I was more open with my colleagues about it. Right now with my team, I've been pretty open with them. And so if someone wants to ask me a question, Sure, I'll answer. I've found that most employees really appreciate that sort of transparency from their boss. There's something about humbling yourself to the people that you work with that's really powerful and courageous and, and typically very well respected. Now, if you're wearing a hair shirt all the time and you're always complaining about it and you're talking about yourself as a victim over and over and over again, people will get tired of that. But if, if you just say, hey, listen, th this working relationship we have is very important. We're going to be spending a lot of time together. And I think you should know this about me. I, I can't imagine too many employees saying, oh, crap, I wish you hadn't told me that. I think it's pretty much the opposite in my experience. And I hope you've had positive experiences primarily when you, when you share this. Has anybody just like freaked out and run for the hills or 
No, I, I can't think of anyone freaking out over it. I actually, I think I have some friends that I've seen that are pretty open on it, that they'll share on Facebook and they're pretty open about their mental struggles and everything they got to do. I think it's sometimes helpful for a lot of us because I think sometimes we get so focused on whatever we're doing in life that we forget other people are struggling. Are there any accommodations that, that you would suggest employers provide? Do you need a, like a room you can go and scream or... And, you know, throw some pillows around or do you, do you need a walking path outside the building so you can – what might you suggest would be helpful for somebody to give safe space and, and room for that? I like most of those thoughts. The pillows <laughs> might, might, might help on some days. No, I think the walking would be good, at least for me, a, a little place just to be able to walk or a path or a quiet place to think or – sometimes just a room to go to be in silence. I, I think that sometimes is good to help calm you down and breathe. And uh, I know other veterans might have other tips or tricks that work better for them. And but we can ask, is that, I mean, that's a fair question to ask, isn't it? I mean, right. if you have an employee and, and this has come up in conversation, I think that a responsible leader would say, what do we need to do so that you can deal with these situations successfully, right? Right. But it's a question and it's not only a question you ask for people with PTSD. Right. It's a question you ask for all your employees all the time, right? Right. What do you need? How can we create a structure and an environment around you here that brings out the best and helps you sand off the rough spots that you have that are going to come up from time to time? And how can I recognize you – know, this is, you know, kids who have behavioral problems, often it's a process of learning their triggers, there's certain things that people say or do or smells or food or what, whatever, the sound of a passing truck. There's a million things that can set people off. So we, we ask about stuff like that. We just say, what do I need to know about you to be a good partner to you, to be a good friend, a good leader, a good coworker? And it's a, like I said, it's a question that is often not asked. And it's, it's sad because then that employee will walk out the door, take their talents with them because – Nobody took the time to get to know them. I guess I want to say that, that the thing that pr probably people say to you all the time, which is, thank you for your service. I'm never sure whether how well that's received and whether that comes across as just kind of superficial. But I, I know you went over and, and did some amazing work on my behalf. So I want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'd say early on when I first got back, it used to bother me. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that from others. Now I'm more appreciative for it, but yeah. earlier on when I first got back, because everything was so real to me, I had some good friends that encouraged me out of that stage, and then getting involved with the VFW, that that helped, because there were, there's a model among the posts, there's, there's no one left behind type deal, yeah. where there's a lot of Vietnam vets who were spit on when they got home. And they've always made it a point to say thank you to the service for me. And so once I learned a little bit more about it and got involved with the VFW, I was like, oh. You got more comfortable, comfortable. Yeah, more comfortable yeah. with it. I'm a very kind of curious and interrogative person. I want to know people well. It's just kind of my impulse. But I always worry, am I pushing too far? Am I making the other person uncomfortable by making those sorts of inquiries? I will say that my track record is pretty good because I find that when you want to have a real conversation with somebody, there may be some initial resistance to that. But once you get into the conversation, it can be life-changing, really, for both parties. My dad fought in World War II, and I think that generation was famously unwilling to talk about their war experiences. 
And I, I wonder how many World War II veterans or Korean veterans just suffered terribly to the end of their days because they could never come back and talk about what they did. Right. Well, I, I just met you today, but I I can already I'm already very confident that you'll have quite a positive legacy with, with, with the way that you talk about your situation, with your openness, your courage. Um, I'm honored that we had this conversation today. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, for having me, Jim. What I'm taking away from the conversation with Andrew is, is it's a reminder uh, that it's hard to know how much we should share with our coworkers uh, about what's going on in our personal life. Ideally, we're in a situation where that sharing is uh, respected, where there's a trusting space for that information to be shared. And it's also important that we get the accommodations that we might need. I would tend to argue <laughs> that sharing more is better than sharing less. Uh, I think the people that work with you will very likely support you if they, if they know more about you. They're probably struggling with issues of their own. If you're in a management position and you sense that one of your employees is struggling for some reason, if you see behaviors that seem uh, awkward or, or off, you know, you don't have to accuse them of anything, but you certainly can inquire, you know, how are you doing? Um, I noticed, uh, you know, in, the, in this meeting that you reacted in a certain way or there's times when I feel you shut down. Um, there's, uh, you you want to give examples when you do that. But don't, don't let somebody flail and, and suffer and, and underperform without saying something about it. Now, the, how much they want to share with you about what's actually going on is, is, has to be up to them. But you need to open that door whenever you can and, and let them know that you've noticed uh, we talk about that a lot in our in our leadership workshop is just noticing people, uh, paying attention to them, letting them know that you see them as a human being who's who's worthy of your curiosity. Now, if you don't work in a supportive environment, if you don't have a, a level of trust in the workplace, I think what you just need to do is build your support system outside of work as best you can. Now, this transparency about about things like PTSD also applies to the interview process and the evaluation process when you're applying for a job. I think that you probably should share anything that would materially impact your performance on the job or, or to result in any accommodations being required for that. I think that as an employer, as a person who's hired and, and uh, employed people, hundreds of people over the years, uh, I would rather know that and have an opportunity to work with the person on that issue than to not know it and find out about it later. When you create relationships with the people at work, it, it, you always have to remember as a manager that this is one of the most important relationships they have and, and may be a transformative and critical relationship that affects the rest of their lives. Uh, so, you know, why not be open? Why not, why not extend trust? Why not get deep and, and personal? It's, it's life. <laughs> work, work is life, and life is work. Well, thank you for listening to Path Forward, Real Conversations About Leadership. If you enjoyed this episode, really appreciate it if you let us know. You can rate and review the show on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to all my guests for the level of vulnerability they took in sharing their stories. 
If you'd like to be a guest on Path Forward, please reach out via the contact form on my website, pathforwardleadership.com. That's also where you can learn more about our show, my upcoming book, and my leadership services. This episode is produced by Large Media. You can find them at larjmedia.com. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Jim Hessler, and this is Path Forward.